Welcome to The Coaching Kool-Aid. In our final episode for Season 1, we dare to divulge the potential negative effects of coaching. From decreased life satisfaction to feelings of love, we look at the latest research on coaching's potential pitfalls and suggest some ways we might avoid them. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the recording studio, otherwise known as my daughter's bedroom. Yeah, I'm yeah, really enjoying good. the Harry Potter theme. Yeah, it's good. It's, well, it's inspiring. It's always been a fantasy of mine for Alan Rickman to just stare <laughs> cruelly at me from the corner. Yeah, it's hot. Ah, <laughs> oh dear. So, what are we talking about today? Well, I'd like to start by saying we've had some really good responses from the podcast so far and we've had some mm-hmm. excellent requests for future episodes mm. which we will certainly have to do once we finish our holidays soon yes indeed uh the first one being goals quite mm-hmm. a few people have said that, that which i find really interesting because goals is certainly one of the biggest aspects of coaching so that'll yep. be interesting to look at nuanced ways to approach that it will what's another one uh psychometric assessments yes one of your favorite topics definitely one of my favorite <laughs> topics i think that i think we might need to get an expert in on that one yes. because there are so many to cover yes good ones dodgy um, ones yeah there sure is and mm. uh, i will chase up someone that we've got in mind for that excellent yeah we had somebody else requesting well-being mm-hmm. as, a, as a topic which might be quite interesting mm. yeah keep us busy yeah and someone just the other day mentioned maybe an episode in the future of how to choose a coach which yes isn't necessarily cool Kool-Aid, but Kool-Aid can certainly be involved. Yeah, I think you've probably got to sift through a bit of Kool-Aid. Yes. I don't suppose you sift Kool-Aid. <laughs> Filter. Filter it. Filter the Filter Kool-Aid. The Kool-Aid. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So this is our final episode for the season. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's been so much fun. It's been so much fun, but we yeah. will be back. For our final episode, we've decided to really turn the lens onto the research affecting coaching and mm. look at something a bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reason we are looking at this crazy thing, aren't you just on the edge of your seat, is that uh, you don't even know what it is yet. Mel and I are part of a continuing education group. We meet up every month or two in order to, it's, it's as part of our supervision. We have a supervision mm. group as well, but this one is specifically each session, a member of the group will bring one piece of research and that's to kind of stay up to date with the latest research because there's just so much mm. going on. Mm. And at our last session, we had a fantastic presentation by Trish looking at the negative effects of coaching. <gasps> what? <laughs> How dare you? Say What? Mm, very very interesting Mm. now when we look at the positive effects Mm -hmm. and the positive outcomes of coaching Mm. there is so much research yep so much so that if you were going to do any kind of meta study you'd really have to target specific areas wouldn't you and that's what people do so for example the positive outcomes of coaching in organizational contexts or Mm -hmm. for students or healthcare settings Strengths coaching, transformational leadership, the effects of coaching on those areas. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I mean, it would be crazy to suggest that those aren't real. I mean, of course, there are huge positive effects. Why else would we be coaches? Exactly. And I think the point being, it's, I mean, I don't think you can say coaching is still relatively young, although I suppose 
compared to other professions it is, but it has grown so quickly that there is now such a body of evidence. And, you know, I think the focus has been on trying to gather as much evidence as possible to demonstrate the effectiveness of coaching because of the fact that it was so new, so new and needs to be sold. And because it's often done in organizational settings and people need to see the data to back it up in order to want to spend the money on it, which makes sense. And it's almost, it was a bit of a, a, I sense that it was almost a bit of a backfilling exercise. So coaching had emerged as a as something that was happening and then the research had to come in in the back to to start to build an evidence base behind mm. it. Mm. And so I think that's why um, there is so much evidence um, to its effectiveness mm. and to, to the positive effects yep. of coaching. So Yeah, and some and that involves some really good studies and very very sturdy research. Yep. Uh, what what is interesting though is that when you compare the evidence and particularly literature reviews and meta analyses, the amount of research on the positive effects of coaching mm. to say it far outweighs is understatement of the century. Absolutely, because we have found nine studies nine that look studies. specifically at the negative outcomes. I'm not coaching. good at maths, but I would suggest that far outweighs. <laughs> <laughs> the thousands is, of studies there is yeah. well oh vice versa there is definitely a discrepancy there yeah so i mean today we're asking the question what are we scared of yeah what, what are we scared of what, well, i'm scared of spiders i'm scared of monkeys i'm scared of dogs you are scared of monkeys yeah. that's so funny i'm yeah, going to lane cowley and there's going to be so oh, many monkeys please don't send me any videos again again what do you think i live in the world of oh, monkeys? your sister it yeah. was your sister oh god that's horrifying i'm still thinking about it mm. <laughs> yes what are we scared of yeah so our podcast today is honestly taking a look at the potential negative effects or outcomes of coaching i think that there are a couple of really important reasons to do this Mm -hmm. it might it might seem silly to even ask why we're doing this but Mm -hmm. you know i think there'd be a lot of people who are are saying well hang on why are we doing that yeah obviously for coaches and clients if we can identify possible negative effects and why they may occur you know that being the antecedents for them Mm -hmm. then of course we can be prepared and we can be aware. So mm-hmm. surely that's going to result in better outcomes for everybody. You would imagine so. You would yep. imagine so. You wouldn't yep. want anyone in a helping profession to just think that everything's sunshine and lollipops, Absolutely would you? Absolutely not. Mm. No. And so one of the other things was um, the, one of the reasons why it's important is recognizing the potential negative effects of coaching uh, within an organizational context. So mm. um, negative effects for clients might have a detrimental impact on the organization as a whole. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, again, really important to be conscious of before you... And ethically something that organisations should be aware of before they invest a lot of money in it. Absolutely. Mm. Yes, yes. I mean, it can also just help organisations to decide when to use coaching, Mm -hmm. you know, which employees and coaches to select Mm -hmm. for that process. And then, of course, also how to support them during the coaching process. If they're not aware that there are potential negative effects Mm -hmm. or problematic effects or uncomfortable effects, then how could they support them if they think that the whole thing is just a jolly, happy process of... Yeah, that's right. And I think, and I was saying to you, supporting the, the person who's been coached, the coachee, after the coaching has finished. Because 
often there's just this vacuum that they enter into after Mm -hmm. that without some sort of scaffolding remaining in place for the person who has received that sometimes intense level of support and coaching so absolutely Mm -hmm. and then also I mean I feel really passionate about helping the industry become more professional and I I mean that in the sense of just boosting the professionalism of the coaching industry because Mm -hmm. we know there are still so many cowboys Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. It, it, ho- hopefully recognizing these negative effects will help put coaching into the same basket as other helping professions, you know, like psychology, mm-hmm. um, in which negative effects are, of course, acknowledged as yeah. natural consequences. And know? even mentoring, yeah. um, consulting, all of those fields yep. have got a bit more of a balanced well, it's not a taboo. Approach. It's it, not pe- a taboo. People will expect right. that it's, it's expected. okay. Yeah. It's yep. part and parcel. So... The main piece of research uh, that we looked at for this, that Trish presented, thanks so much, Trish. Thanks, Trish. Was entitled A Literature Review on Negative Effects of Coaching, What We Know and What We Need to Know. And it was Mm -hmm. by Shimuli and Grassmann. Mm -hmm. Well said. From 2018, so very Mm, recent. Very recent. This is a really good one because it's basically a literature review that covers those nine studies that have been conducted on the negative effects of coaching for clients, coaches, and organizations. And that's Mm. why this is such a great piece of research, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so in their literature review, they have defined the negative effects of coaching as... Harmful and unwanted results for clients directly caused by coaching that occur parallel to or after coaching. And they suggest that all three of those elements, so harmful, unwanted and directly caused, need to be fulfilled to classify that the coaching event was negative. So, I mean, the main findings of this was they found that that negative effects occurred frequently, Mm -hmm. but only a few of them were severe and most of them were low in intensity. Which is good. It's good. We don't have to freak out. The taboo's not too big. Yeah. So let's start with the negative effects for clients. Yes. Let's. So the interesting thing here was that two thirds, Mm. so 67% of clients reported at least one negative effect of coaching, which I think is quite a lot. Yeah, it is. They were, though, classified as being low Low to medium medium intensity, so Mm -hmm. that's good. And that clients reported a slightly higher frequency and intensity of negative effects on themselves than coaches did for their client. I think that means that there might be a lack of checking in going on. Yeah, with with, clients. Yeah, Yeah, with clients. During Mm -hmm. and after. Because that can be quite uncomfortable to say, how are you going? How is this process going for you? But it's really important to do. But actually... You know, even if you do, maybe that's too confronting. For whom? For the client to say, well, actually, I don't think this is going very well. Like, I wonder if there's a tendency for clients to say, yeah, you're good. Oh, for sure. And then, of course, the coach is just going by that. Oh, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. So that would make it a bit tricky. Well, especially when well. we look at some of these negative impacts, you might not want to necessarily talk about them out loud. Mm. So for clients... Very interesting. 22% of coaching clients reported a decrease with life satisfaction following a coaching engagement. It's huge. It's huge. The one that I found interesting was that it caused a triggering of in-depth problems that could not be dealt with. Actually, it doesn't surprise me that it triggers that because I do think that sometimes coaching is the first time that people have had a chance to just sit down and reflect Mm. on their lives, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, when you're putting a bit of a microscope to it, that makes sense that you're maybe going to sort of uncover some things that you've uh, been too busy 
to be looking at, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think going back to the decrease in life satisfaction, 22% Mm. is quite a high number when you think about that, particularly when you think about most coaching and especially life coaching is very much sold as a thing that is going to boost your happiness, boost your well-being. Mm -hmm. And it can do those things. Mm -hmm. But obviously, people need to be aware of the fact that in order to make changes and to have any kind of growth, it can be really uncomfortable first. That's right. You can get a lot of uh, difficult things coming up when you start to reflect if you haven't reflected before. Mm. So hopefully that's not a long-term thing, hopefully temporary. That's true. And I think that's mentioned somewhere, isn't it, too, that it's potentially a temporal thing that, yes. you know, yeah, yeah exactly. over a longer period of time that's might right. swing back up. Yes. Um, one of the other ones was um, decreased relationship quality with supervisor, decreased relationship quality with spouse, and decreased relationship quality with colleagues and employees. Mm-hmm. So all of those, um, and actually decreased relationship quality with family. And again, um, varying percentages, but mm. um, the highest being decreased relationship quality with your supervisor. My hypothesis would definitely mm-hmm. be that that's in line with uh, Sean O'Connor's research on the coaching ripple effect. Yes, and that when you find people have undergone coaching those people around them often have also a decreased sense of well-being or a perception of it because they're being challenged. That's right. The homeostasis of the organization or the family or whatever relationship group you're discussing has been unsettled. It's been shifted. Yeah. Yeah, And that can be really uncomfortable. Yep. Absolutely. I would Mm. say that's definitely true in my own life. (laughs) With your coaching, you mean? Oh, but with being coached. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You suddenly are seeing the forces that you're subjected to mm-hmm. or that you are subject to mm. and you start to push back on some of those. Mm, and, yeah. you know, that doesn't always go down too easily. No. So, yeah, that those don't surprise me. Um, no, yeah. no, they don't surprise me either. I wrote a note next to decreased relationship quality with spouse, 6% reported for client, and I wrote, surprise, that's so low. Um <laughs> Uh, because I would expect that's the first place that you would potentially see it. Yeah, 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 definitely. It sure Um, is. One of the other ones, well, we were interested in this one too, with your evaluation of your work role, that 29% of clients reported a decreased experience of meaningfulness of the Mm. job Mm. and probably goes with it, 32% reported a decreased job satisfaction. Again, I think it's, you know, you are suddenly bringing a microscope to something that you've possibly just been doing relatively unconsciously and, you know, you're examining it for Mm. the first time. Yeah, and and your place within the organisational system and your place within the world and thinking, do I fit? Is this what I want? Mm. And good coaching should get you asking those questions, really, Mm. because you don't just want somebody to become kind of squeeze them more or squeeze the round peg more into that square hole and try mm. and get them to fit a bit more what you're no. really trying to get them to do is is analyze for everybody's sake you know what am i doing here to some extent at least mm. but i think that again that's interesting because a lot of coaches will sell the idea of building meaning and purpose mm-hmm. which you you certainly can do but you can't do it without the very real understanding that people may discover that they don't want to be there That's right. Do you feel as though those sorts of findings should be shared with a coachee or an organisation before you start a coaching engagement? 
I think it depends. Mm. I definitely think it depends. I think that it, and we can talk about this a bit later in terms of what we think the implications of this are. I think I'm always down for transparency. Yeah. But let's talk about that later. Okay. Yeah. Two. Okay. So the next section is looking at the perceived causes for the negative effects of coaching. So in other words, why do coaches think that clients have negative effects? Well, the first one they think is because they had no supervision and that was 10.7%. Yeah. That is a little worrying to me because that means that a much higher percentage than 10% are having no supervision. It's just that Mm -hmm. they don't even realize that that might be the the problem. Well, I guess they are realizing that that's the problem because this is... 10% are realizing it, but what percentage don't go and don't realize it's a problem that they're not going? Sure. Yeah. There was also, um, did not inform the client enough about what to expect in the coaching process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think we've all been guilty of that. Yep. Little uh, professional expertise. Mm, that's interesting. And tried to treat a psychological disorder. I think that's very important. That is Coaches, don't try and be psychologists. No. We're not. That's worrying. That's worrying. Yeah. From the client's perspective, they tend to think, so the highest percentage of clients tend to think the reason that they had negative effects was because there was too little awareness of their problems. Yes. And back we go to, I had no idea how much I was on autopilot or I haven't really examined this part of my life and I'm finally stopping to examine it. And oh, Mm. I'm finding all this stuff. And again, uh, quite a high percentage, 18%, suggests that the reason they had negative effects was because they were mentally ill Mm. before the coaching started. Mm -hmm. And we know that to be true from some research that Tony Grant did, which indicated that anywhere between 25 and 50% of people who present for coaching actually have statistically significant levels of depression and anxiety. And the, and the reasons he felt for that were because it was more socially acceptable to seek coaching before seeking the help of a psychologist. Which would be fine if the majority of coaches had psychological training. And, and could identify. Mm, that's right. But that's unfortunately right. they don't. That's true. Mm. The organisation, the negative effects were due to the fact that the organisation did not provide opportunities to transfer what the client had learned. Hello, systems. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all very well to pull a person out and coach them, but if the system around them isn't supporting them to make any of those changes, yeah. you know, it's not going to happen. Sure. Um, forced the client into the coaching. Yeah. That's a very real issue with uh, remedial coaching. Interfered frequently with the coaching. So they're reflecting on that and saying that they interfered. Yeah. Well, that's good reflection on their yeah, behalf, then, true. isn't it? I've certainly had that experience and it ain't fun. Mm. Moving on to the negative effects on coaches. Yeah. Which is also very important. What did you find to be most interesting? Sexual advance- advances. Never happens to me. <laughs> now I'm on guard. Um, stalking. Mm. I mean, these were quite low. Sexual advances across the person's career. That's pretty significant. That is. uh, Sexual attraction was 19.2%. Wow. Saying that they have felt sexually attracted. I I think it's interesting that that's listed as a negative. I can understand why it would be uncomfortable, but (laughs) (laughs) feelings of love. Now, it's, it's very honest to list feelings of love as a negative, a negative isn't it i mean i can understand that it's pretty complicated if everybody's i guess it's just not seen as professional it's certainly not professional but how can you help it when you love someone you just I love know. them it's really true yeah i've never experienced that with a client oh, i have <laughs> with a client oh gosh yes Ooh. i adore 
I've had clients that I've absolutely oh, adored. Oh, I thought you meant sexual love. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no, I love them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I think this means as in I'm in love with you and I want to run away and have your babies. Oh, sure. No, I haven't had that. No. Yet. <laughs> um, being personally affected by coaching topics was 78.8%, so 79% of coaches have reported being personally affected by coaching topics and report that as being a negative thing. It's interesting because a colleague of ours sent us an article the other day in regards to that from a psychology perspective. This article was about a psychologist who had just broken up from a long-term relationship and was really suffering and had a client come in the same age as her with exactly the same problem and was describing how incredibly difficult that was. And of course when your job is to hold up and reflect somebody's life circumstances and if they mirror your own and it's quite painful yeah of course that's hard Mm. definitely so i'm i mean i'm not surprised by that statistic at Mm. all that's Mm. when you really need supervision absolutely supervision Mm -hmm. um i just think that's interesting that that's recorded as a negative effect because i would suggest that being personally affected by what's happening for a coachee is that you're feeling empathy in that moment i guess it's how long lasting it is Mm. well and and again how you deal with it so if if you have a supervision group or or a supervisor singular Mm. who you can go and speak to about that then Mm. Yeah then that would be okay but otherwise it would be very lonely which Mm -hmm. is actually another effect loneliness is listed as across a coach's career 21.2 percent said that loneliness was a direct negative impact of being a coach and i've spoken to many coaches about this and i think that's why our alumni that we belong to is such an active group of people because Mm. the majority of us work in a quite siloed way Mm. and the more opportunities we get to engage in professional development mm-hmm. you i mean they're turning people away from mm. those organ, from those nights because there's too many of us that want mm. to go to it because i think we're all craving that collegiality and connection with people so who understand what absolutely you're yep. yeah i think the other interesting one was that 80.8 percent of coaches felt at times insecure good yeah <laughs> Because I certainly do. I think that's being human, isn't it? I would hope that you had a slight feeling of insecurity or vulnerability or, oh, gosh, I hope I'm doing a good job or... Because the opposite of that, I suppose, would be... Total arrogance. Yeah. You need... need... Cowboy. Yeah, that's it. And then they'd be the ones who were telling everybody what to do Mm. and mentoring rather than checking yourself. I mean, coaching is that constant reflection, not only on what your client is saying, but on what how you're responding from like Ralph Stacey's perspective of complex responsive processes, the movements, the actions, the words are contributing to this space in between the two of you Mm. that you need to be constantly aware of. You need to be aware of this living emergence. And if you're just thinking, I'm doing a great job, this is super. True. Similarly, if you're gripped with insecurity, then that's creating probably just as much stagnation or whatever in that space. Well, I would say in that case, you'd be in the fight or flight, which Definitely. means that you're not capable of reflection no. either because you're just trying to crawl under the table. Exactly. You're, you're, you're not being mindful no. at the moment. Feeling underpaid. 70% of coaches across yep. their career in these studies felt underpaid. It's very interesting. I think it's indicative of the diversity of the pay scale. Yes. And I think that creates unrealistic expectations because yes. you do get coaches who are getting 1000 plus an hour. Yep. 
And then people will think, well, hang on, I'm doing the same job as them. Why yep. am I getting X? I must be underpaid. I must be underpaid when you're probably actually getting paid more mm. per hour at least. Mm. Even if you're only getting three hours a week, mm. you're probably getting more than the average. Yep. But if it's their perception, yep. then... Yep. And it's counted as a material loss. So, I mean, this is certainly one that I've probably found is... This frustration that the client's problems, in inverted commas, could not be resolved. Oh, no, I probably haven't experienced it so much as the goal has shifted, which I'm fine with now, but probably early on probably had a bit of insecurity Mm. (laughs) about feeling like the initial goal maybe had gone off track. And did we need to come back and tidy that up with a nice little bow on top? Well, I think that that really speaks to another one, which is disappointment about not observing the long-term influences. Mm. So if you feel like you go into it, you've got this goal, great, let's together help you hit that goal. Mm. And then, as you say, the goal shifts. Mm -hmm. And then I don't get to see the outcome of that. As coaches, we really Mm. do have to be open to emergence, don't we? And Mm. to be flexible. I would suggest that that's all about setting up those expectations at the start. Mm. I often ask, how would you like to feel at the end of six sessions? It's got to be more about the feeling than the achievement. Definitely. Because that needs to be allowed to be changed. As soon as you lock it down, you don't have the flexibility to have them go, actually... That's kind of what other people want for me. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily what I want for myself. And absolutely. then let's go down another path. Yep, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Let's move on to the final part, which is the negative effects for organizations. Mm. So the main negative effect was that clients' development did not fit the organizational conditions. And to me, that just speaks to the need for three-way meetings. Oh, yeah. Three ways. <laughs> <laughs> and in those meetings, the need to discuss expectations. For sure. And let me tell you, I've had my share of three ways. And wow, it's scary (laughs) to think of how a coaching engagement could have gone without doing that. And I Mm. probably have too many of them. I have one at the beginning, I have one in the middle, and I have one at the end. Mm. Because I just want to be checking back all the time. You know, this Mm. is what we're doing. Are we on track? Mm. Are you on track? And are you on board? Are you on board? Yeah. And especially at the end, coming back to that whole people are left in a vacuum, this person's worked on X, Y, and Z. Well, like actually that person says, I've worked on X, Y, and Z. Then I try and facilitate a conversation of how are you as an organization going to continue to support this person on this journey mm. or with this behavioral change, whatever mm. it is. So Super key. Another one is the client questioned too much after the coaching process, mm-hmm. resulting in problems with the direct supervisor or manager. And that, again, is what we were talking about before with the ripple effect, yes. isn't it? Their perspective has shifted their way of being in the world and being in the organization has shifted that's Mm -hmm. the the homeostasis has been broken and that can be really uncomfortable that's right and there i think that um what sean reports in the ripple effect paper is that they're trying to increase the autonomy of their direct reports Mm. so the person who's been coached is trying to increase the autonomy notice knowing that that's important of their direct reports when in actual fact what that's seen as is, well, they're just giving me more work. Mm-hmm. Like previously this person micromanaged me, did everything for me. Now mm. they're suddenly making me do it all. Yep. Um, or another side of that as well can be they're talking to me. They used to just let me get on and do my stuff. And now they're asking me questions that was making me really uncomfortable and they're trying to engage with me. What is this? Yeah, for Mm. sure. Mm. Yeah. And then the final one for that, which I think is a bit sad, is uh, colleagues' feelings of jealousy. 
Yeah. But not surprising, right? Because as mm. you said before, there's a lot of status to having a coach, especially an executive coach. That's right. And I think it's seen as an investment in that person as a high performer. And then if you haven't got one, does that mean you're not a high performer? And is your job in danger? Yeah. And I, well, possibly then the opposite for someone That's who's, right. you know, got remedial coaching. However, I think that people often report really appreciating being given the time. I've done a little bit of remedial coaching and those people have said that they really appreciate it, just being given the opportunity to have that time. Oh, of course. And so... But again, can I just say that's probably also based on you. I'm not blowing smoke up your butt, but I mean, that's... (laughs) In a three-way? Sexual advances. That's probably because it's a safe place to be because you provide a container Mm. that I can imagine there would be coaches who would see remedial coaching as the the same way the organization does. Sure. Cracking the whip. Cracking the whip. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to the implications for this study. I mean, I think the main one really is the role of supervision and the Mm. importance of that. And that actually is stated in the paper. The findings indicate that there is a massively beneficial influence of supervision Mm. because especially the negative impacts on the coaches. Yes. You need a safe place to fall yourself. Absolutely. And I think it probably mitigates some of the negative outcomes for coaches as well. And we say this all the time when we come away from one of our group coaching supervision nights, you cannot underestimate the benefit of having six people's brains working on the problem that you're faced with. Absolutely. Giving you their feedback. That diversity of perspectives Mm. can only strengthen what you do with a client. So, And every single time we have one of those, somebody will come up with something that I never would have thought of. Never. Ever. Yep, Mm. I know. They're unbelievably powerful. So that doesn't surprise me at all that that's one of the implications Mm. and I would concur. I would concur. The other one is transparency, isn't it? Mm. I mean, we just have to pay attention to the potential negative effects and we have mm-hmm. to discuss them openly. Yes. What about during the coaching? What are the boundaries here? I do think so, yes, because mm. I think it's all very well to mention it at the start, but I think it's one of those messages that needs to be repeated mm. just to make sure those expectations are really clear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, the third one is, uh, I mean, the implication for coaching courses, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, coaching education really should integrate negative effects and their antecedents into their programs to inform coaches about when and how they might be prevented. That's right. And to not freak out that this is not a bad thing. Yeah. Like this is this is the reality of having a relationship with somebody in a professional context is that you are going to have negative occurrences. Mm-hmm. That's just humans yep. interacting with each other. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. And I think it's one of the strengths of a long program like, I know sometimes we sound like an ad for it, but like Master Mm -hmm. of Science in Coaching Psychology at Mm -hmm. Sydney University, this stuff does come up. Absolutely. It's not hidden under the carpet. Yeah, because there's time. It's a long enough course that there's time to unpack these sorts of things. That's right. Whereas if you try and sell somebody, and there are so many out there now, if you try and sell somebody a one-week two-week, a three-day coaching course, as if you've got the time or the inclination to tell them, it's not all sunshine and lollipops. Yeah. Not all tits and teeth. (laughs) Not all pom-poms. Yeah. 
So the final thing uh, implication was that it was important to remember that the research clearly states that negative effects of coaching do not mean that the coaching was a failure. Of course not. No. No, because we need to look at the word negative with nuance here. Yes. Right? It's like drugs that are working to cure you of something. They'll Mm. often have side effects that are quite uncomfortable, but you're not going to stop taking the drugs just because of the side effects. Mm. There lies the transparency. Yes. Definitely. And consistent transparency throughout the engagement. Just reiterating again and again, this might cause some discomfort. And to reiterate at the same time that what appears negative now and uncomfortable now might bear incredibly positive fruit down the line. Yes. That these feelings of discomfort in your personal relationships, in your work relationships, whatever, we hate our homeostasis being shifted. We want things to stay the same and being transparent about the fact that that's going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's negative to the organization might be incredibly positive to the client. So we have to look at negativity here with nuance. If Mm. a person might decide to leave because they've had coaching, Mm. that might be the best decision they've ever made. Absolutely. And it might seem bad to the organization, but ultimately maybe they weren't putting that much into it because they hated being there. That's right. Maybe it's positive for both in the end. True. I mean, I think as our colleague Trish pointed out, the lack of examination of the negative effects in coaching shows a bit of a lack of maturity of the industry really Mm -hmm. as a whole. And I think it's something that we really need to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the reasons that we wanted to do this podcast was to start really openly examining the aspects of coaching, which aren't necessarily that easy to sell. Yeah, that's right. Because we want the industry to grow. I mean, not that it's down to us, but everyone, you know, everyone contributes something. And I feel quite passionate about wanting this industry to develop in terms of professionalism. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's no quality control. Yeah. It's still an unregulated industry. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. We've got to be our own regulation for the time being. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's exactly. then that really affects our reputation. Yeah. As exactly. an industry. Yeah. So we do have a code of ethics. To keep in line with that, though, you have to be constantly doing some self-reflection and critique. There's also the industry standards that are specific to Australia. So there are there are sort of, I guess, frameworks, but it's still all relatively voluntary. As long as it's unregulated, then anybody yeah. can create a coaching course. You can't create a course in psychology. Yeah. Say, come to me and I'll make you a, here's a, a certificate saying that you're a psychologist. Yeah. You know, there's such a fine line between coaching and psychology. So often, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there shouldn't be. But Oh, it's a very blurry line. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. I really want coaching to be something that can be used beyond sales and beyond corporate growth. I really Mm -hmm. think it's something that can genuinely make a positive impact on individuals and even on society as a whole. I don't want to sound frou-frou la-la, but I I genuinely think that it has that potential. Yes. But I feel like in order to do this, we've got to get vulnerable. Mm. We've got to be able to look at things from all sides and not just the sell, sell, sell part. We have to be able to step back. You know, I mean, from a scientific and evidence-based perspective, and as I said, in order to build our professionalism, we want to be able to understand the limits of any intervention. And that absolutely includes examining the possible negative effects of coaching. Yeah. And that's not scary. No, it's not scary. Break the taboo. Transparency yeah. is a key factor for growth and positive change in everything. Mm. I want to get critical. <laughs> Let's get into critical. Let me hear your criticisms. <laughs> your criticism. 
Well, thanks for that. Yeah. I guess um, that's us for, uh, season, for this season. Yeah, season, for season one. one. Thanks yeah. for listening. Thank you. And please keep emailing us. We love getting your emails. We really do. It's great. It's so good to get feedback. If there's anything that you want us to cover that you feel we haven't covered yet, yeah. um, we'd be very open to that as well. That would be great. All right. Yeah. Happy holidays, even though no one else is having a holiday but me. Mm, yeah. Happy holidays to me. Renee will be 40 next time we do a podcast. <laughs> 40 and dancing with the monkeys. Yeah. Oh, God. Goodbye. <laughs>